as we know, you don't come out once, it's a lot of times and to different circles and so on. You're listening to the QT Podcast, where we explore how queer professionals and entrepreneurs are building a brighter future for queer communities and the tech industry at large. I'm Margie Marchetti, my pronouns are they, them, and welcome to the QT Podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm a product manager at Lighthouse Labs. Sweet and short. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Are you excited? <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you very much for accepting our invite and for being here. It's it's really lovely to to see you. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited to be here. In this interview, we'll go through your life as a queer person working in tech, try to explore all those intersections. And I would like to start with a very like simple question, I guess, but at the same time, very, very important, which is what is a product manager? What do you do? <laughs> in a nutshell, a product manager is someone who like designs experiences for products. Most of the time, Product managers work in software, like the product is a software, but it doesn't need to be like that. For example, in my case, even though I work with software, our main product is a service and it's education. So in our case, the software is seen as a tool to deliver the service. So I'm not focused on features, I'm really focused on service. So it's designing the experience for the users of the product. Which kind exactly of education, which kind of service? I work at Lighthouse Labs, which is a coding bootcamp, and we have several product managers uh, in Lighthouse Labs. Uh, my work is focused on the mentorship side of things. So the students of our bootcamps, they can connect to mentors to help them with their assignments and guide them in their path through graduation and even after graduation. So that's what I'm in charge of. That's, that's awesome. How long have you been doing this? It's been just a year now uh, at Lighthouse Labs. And how do you feel about it? I'm super happy. For me, it's the right place to be in. When I was looking for a job, I had a, a big list of criteria and Lighthouse Labs like ticked all of them. And yeah, I'm, I'm very happy there. Do you want to tell us a bit more about your professional journey? How did you end up in your current role? I started my career totally in a different field uh, than education. I was an audio and video technician in theaters. That lasted roughly five years. And well, since the beginning, I knew that I wouldn't stay in this field. I didn't see a lot of you know, career growth. And also the, the job was quite difficult um, physically. You have you know, weird hours. It's a lot of physical work in a dark room. You don't see the light, like a lot of things that at some point I was getting a bit you know, frustrated with. So, I was working as a freelance and that gave me time and also a bit of like financial resources to work on a big project of mine that was uh, creating a company in edtech. So I had this appeal for education for a very long time. And I think also working in, well, in theaters, the main, the main company I was working with, the theater company I was working with, they were doing like popular education through theater. They were really focused on the history of immigration. And I saw how, you know, these plays were helping mainly youth, but also adults better understand 
their stories, why they were there, their family uh, history um, and society in general. And I think that, you know, also like motivated me that education was really an interesting field because it can bring a lot of impact on people's lives. And I was also surrounded by people who were um, developers and in, you know, the IT field. So I guess all these together made me found a company that was creating mobile apps for three to five year olds. In which, which year was this? The company was officially created in 2014, but I started working on it like many years before. When apps were not as cool as they are now. Yeah, iPad was quite new and I was really interested by this, this new medium. And I saw how, you know, how intuitive it was for, for people, well, kids who cannot read to, to use technology also as a, as a tool for education. Nowadays, everybody literally uses technology to, to learn and in education. So kudos to you for understanding this back in 2014, <laughs> really. I was the, the CEO slash product owner slash product manager of the company. You know, it was a startup, so you wear a lot of hats. And definitely I was laying out the vision for, for this product, how it should look like, what, what is the goal of all that. The company lasted two years. It was on my 30th birthday, exactly that day that I decided to close the company. How did you move on from that experience then to the next professional experience that you had? So there was a bit of a floating moment, like a few months of floating. Um, I moved to Belgium, so I was in France. I moved to Belgium for a few months. I didn't like it there. What? Um, against Belgium. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Quick, quick parenthesis. Where did you move to? Brussels. <laughs> I am currently in Brussels. I love it. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I used to love it when I, I was going there for, um, you know, tourism, just like that. But I really didn't like um, the living there. And just by... Um, events made that I had the opportunity to move to Canada. And that was something I was really interested in. Even when I had my company, I had done two uh, business trips to Quebec, so Montreal and Quebec City. And I really loved the vibe, especially, you know, I, I was meeting with entrepreneurs and different organizations and institutions, and I had a really good feel of the work culture. And I really liked it compared to what I was seeing in France. So I was like, when I had my company, I was like, oh, I would love to open an office in, in Quebec. That would be that would be really great. It didn't happen, but the, the dream of moving to Quebec stayed. And and yeah, I was very lucky to to be able to do so. So I moved I moved here in Montreal. You moved for a job opportunity that you found here, or did you move just because you wanted to be here? Yeah, because I wanted to be here. I moved with nothing. I had nothing. Um, but just yeah, change of life. I found a job quite quickly, I think after two, three months. So that was, that was cool in a tech, um, in, in AI actually. And that was as a um, head of product. So another startup where I was uh, in charge of the product. This startup also closed. So maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe there is some kind of pattern, but it was not so much my, my responsibility at the time. <laughs> uh, but I felt that again, another startup that closed. Hi, I'm Day, the producer of the QT podcast. 
The Cutie Podcast hosts interviews with inspiring 2S LGBTQ professionals and entrepreneurs in the tech ecosystem. We've created this podcast with the hopes to influence positive cultural change by creating a platform for sharing experiences, achievements, and challenges faced by members of the 2S LGBTQ community. Thank you for listening. So 2020 happened and the pandemic <laughs> and being stuck at home, seeing the world kind of falling apart brought me to think a lot about myself and a lot of things actually. And I realized that I was non-binary and that was a big discovery. And it changed a lot of things uh, in my view of the world, of myself and of my career too. As we know, you don't come out once, it's a lot of times and it's to different circles and so on. But I didn't like to be stuck in between two identities. At work, I was not out, but with my friends, uh, with my partner, I was out. So I couldn't live in that state because I, I was feeling fake. I was feeling like two personalities or two, like it, it was really a, a weird time. So I knew I had to, I had to come out professionally, but it's not that I couldn't come out at work at my, at my place, but it's just, there were no openly queer people in this company. It, it's a, it was a small company. We were maybe 15 at the time. And I just didn't feel that I could be that one queer person there. Plus everybody, you know, knew my dead name, knew me from before. I, I just didn't feel that I could do it like that. And there were also a few things on the product side that I was not, you know, so much aligned with. So I was also starting to feel that my job was not going the way I wanted. So basically I quit. <laughs> wow. I wanted to take like a step back when, you know, you mentioned COVID and you mentioned, you know, kind of coming out, I guess, first to yourself as a non-binary person and then wanting to come out with those close to you and then choosing, you know, to change work for, for this reason. Lots of people that will listen to this podcast identify as queer and our personal coming out always influences, you know, then all our different relationships. Do you want to tell us a bit more how, you know, you made this realization about yourself and how you decided then to come out first to your friends, how that made you feel and the steps that then led to, of course, you deciding to leave? I think I was on Twitter reading like people talking about their experience as non-binary people, but among a lot of other things that I read on Twitter that are not specially linked to my experience, well, at the time, because I didn't know I was non-binary. So I was reading these like testimonies and uh, of life experiences. And all of a sudden I was like, no, but I relate so much to that, but wait, that means that, but yeah, I'm non-binary actually. I was like, you know, <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was very clear actually to me. It was like, oh, but why didn't see didn't I see that before? It's just so obvious that yeah, it's me. And then I think it took me a few days to just be like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Are you sure? But in a few days, I was like, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> and then yeah, first uh, first coming out was to my partner. Uh, that was very important for me that um, that he knew. I had no idea how, you know, 
ha what would happen with that? Um, there was a bit of a um, floating moment also there because he didn't understand necessarily fully what it means. It was also for the both of us, what did it mean? That was also very unclear at the beginning. But we sorted that out. Uh, we're still together. Everything's fine, even better than before. So happy ending. Well, at least for now, you know. So, so that that was that was really great. And then friends, just uh, this endless streak of messages, and each time being like, oh, what is, what is going to be the answer? But for me, I didn't feel like. It was more difficult for me to come out like orally to meet people one by one or in a group and, and make a, a coming out. I felt better to do this through text because I could really master the message that I was sending. And I was like, people can have time to process before, you know, blurting out something. <laughs> oh, like that was my reasoning in that. But I guess everybody's different. And also I have to mention that I, w I was accompanied in, in therapy for, for all that, and that was really helpful. So I 100% recommend therapy for this kind of moments where you feel super anxious. I was super anxious during the whole process. It was, it was really, really hard, really, really hard. Now I don't care really, <laughs> like, I, like, I don't care to uh, come out to people who don't know me. It's really not an issue anymore, but I think when it's people you care about, that's where that's where you're, for me, I was really like, yeah, stressed by what, what will be their reaction, you know? Are they, are they going to show the true colors, you know? Am I going to see something ugly in them? Are we going to stay friends or close or, you know? And did you feel that kind of wave of support that you were searching for? It was mainly positive, really. The only thing is I didn't have really queer folks in my surroundings, uh, like not, not close to me. So that was also something where I felt very isolated in my experience. And especially I, I didn't know anybody who's non-binary nor trans. So, you know, I, I felt really like alone in this experience because even if people support you, they don't necessarily understand what you're going through. It's not the same, you know, when you've been through an experience and when you're just witnessing it from the outside. So yeah, that that was that was a bit difficult. <laughs> oh, totally, it's definitely understandable. And how did you find your queer community then? Um, I went through Facebook groups, <laughs> like queer groups for meeting people. Also, it was during the pandemic, so it was complicated to to meet people at that moment. That was really also very good timing. I had just moved in a new place, which is near the village in Montreal. You know, living in this neighborhood also brought me a bit more, you know, visibility of other queer people. And then, yeah, queer tech also. So after I quit, I was looking for a job. I was talking to headhunters and one of them recommended the career fair of queer tech. It was like, it's really great. Uh, you should you should check that out. And I did, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it, it's good, queer tech. I didn't know really queer tech. So like, that's very, very cool. And I get to meet some people also through through Queer Tech. Hi, my name is Naufel. I am the CEO and co-founder of Queer Tech. And Queer Tech is a nonprofit based in Montreal. And our mission is about queering the tech ecosystem. And what it means is increasing trust LGBTQ representation in the tech industry, uh, helping queer people advance their career in tech and launching tech businesses. 
a few tips if people are interested for queer people looking for a job and especially um, if they're looking for for you know assessing the the, the culture of a company because when you look all companies you know they're tout that they're very inclusive and so on but it does, you know you don't know what concretely it means and it can be just some you know pink washing or just you know some marketing uh, message but it's difficult sometimes to know if it's actually actually the case first of all as a side note for for migrants like me the the first thing you have to do is to make sure that your resume and your experiences are um, are explained in a way that fits with the local culture. Like even in, in French, for me, like some job titles in France, uh, they don't mean the same in Quebec. Even if it's the same exact um, noun, it's not the same responsibilities or level of responsibilities just because cultural differences. So so it's always good just to, to check that, just to make sure that your application, you know, follows the, the, the local codes and it can even vary by province or by industry so just yeah that's that's the little side notes for people who are not from Canada and applying in Canada um, but then what I was doing I was looking at the team page of the the company I was applying at so bonus point if the whole team was listed there with pictures not just the founders or you know of the board because for me, it was kind of a signal that they care about their people. So they're going to display their name and face and everything. Um, so if you have that, you can see the you can kind of assess the diversity and especially at all levels, you know, how high in the management line um, diversity goes. Pronouns next to the pictures, I would say. That's a big one, too. <laughs> yeah. Also, when, you, when you're interacting with a, with a company, if they have pronouns in their signature, Bonus point. Bonus point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, there is two things also that are related: is the the size of the company and the governance model. So, in terms of size, there there are pros and cons between you know small and big companies. Small companies they're more usually like knit tight, and you're gonna have more personal relationships with everybody. You're gonna know everybody very quickly. Uh, tends to be a bit more, a bit less formal, but the con for the big con for me is there may not be any HR person, let alone HR department. So you're gonna have to deal with HR stuff with potentially your manager or your boss, who is not trained for that. For example, there may not be any HR policies in place. So for me, that was that was a no. That was a no. I also had worked a lot in startups, so I wanted to change on that side too and be in bigger companies. So for me, it was like, you know, at least 50 people. I didn't want a big corporation either, so I was like, not a thousand people, but because f that's really personal. But for me, it's like it becomes too big and things are too slow potentially. And yeah, so, so for me, that was my kind of sweet spot. It was like between 50 and 200 people. And yeah, the government's, the governance mode. So if it's profit, non-profit, is there a board of advisors? Are there, are there investors or is the company in, in a, in a funding tour? Because that's going to impact a lot more on the product side, actually, or on the, on the day-to-day -day work, but it helps you know, knowing 
is the company growing or, you know, how investors are potentially going to steer the decisions. So that's something just to, to be aware of. Um, yeah. Then another thing I was looking at is how many reports each manager has and how is the structure of that? Because if your manager has like 20 reports, they will not have time for you. <laughs> this podcast is powered by the Canada Media Fund. As the country's largest funder of screen content, we are proud to support 2S LGBTQ plus creators. Learn more at cmf-fmc.ca. How did you come out with this uh, with this criteria? Was it coming from your previous experience? Was it something that you learned while researching? And uh, and this one part and the second one is like, how do you ask these kind of questions, or what kind of questions do you ask during an interview to make sure that you know what they show on their website is actually real and it shows up then in the day to day work? Because this is also uh, you know, a big one. Um, so how do you do that? So I think it comes from the fact that I had a lot of time to think during the pandemic and where I want to be also in my professional life. So I had started kind of this criteria list. And as I'm a product manager, it was a lot of like, must have, should have, nice to have, you know, it was, it was like that. Okay. That's, that's my, you know, professional deformation. And yeah, I had questions that I was asking in interviews. Um, you can you can ask questions like, you know, how how do you define the communication in your team or in the company? And that that's a very interesting one. And you can see also if it's something the company has thought of. As a very bad example, one okay, it was a startup, so it was already not ticking my box of you know bigger company but I was talking to the founders and when I asked that they were like oh well I would say we are friendly and I was like oh that's such a massive red flag yeah <laughs> this is not how you define the communication in your company and it means that they really never thought about it really so I was like nope <laughs> that was no for example you can also ask, you know, um, you know, how are the company values applied concretely, you know, on a day to day? How do you see them applied? You can ask that to, to a lot, um, you know, to, to the HR person or someone who could be your manager or your, your potential peer. You can ask that to a lot of people. Yeah. And you can ask also, you know, what are the pros and cons? But not of the, um, not of the job itself. But once again, in this company, you can ask a very large question like, "What do you like the most in this company? What do you like the least in this company?" And that gives you a pretty good picture of what it is to work there. Yeah, this sounds like smart advice. What do you like the most about the company you work in now? <laughs> uh, for me, it's really that they walk the talk. About uh, especially we're talking about you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not perfect, but you won't find any perfect place. It's the effort that is put in. So they're really trying to, to walk the talk. We have a DNI committee and I'm part of it. Uh, I've made some, you know, 
requests when I saw some stuff that was not really inclusive and I've been heard, not only listened and heard, but my recommendations have been applied immediately. So, so that's really something I appreciate where, where I, I can see that, you know, it's not just a facade, it's really, it's really something the company uh, values. Funny anecdote is that we have Discord servers where, you know, students are mentors and also, well, Lighthouse Lab staff. And at some point, out of the blue, one of the students just DM'd me and was like, hey, I see your pronouns, so I'm gonna guess you're non-binary and I would like to know more about, if you're okay, about, you know, how how it is to look for a job and, and how is the professional life as a non-binary person. And that was super, like, sweet and just unexpected. And I was like, oh, wow. And yeah, we, we jumped on a, on a quick call and we, we exchanged. So, so that was really, really neat, you know, to, yeah, to help this, this person like that. At RBC, diversity and inclusion is more than a value. It's a strength, an engine for innovation and economic prosperity. As proud sponsors of Queer Tech, RBC puts DNI into action every day by developing strong talent and creating an inclusive workplace that brings their purpose of helping their clients thrive and communities prosper to life. Find out more about Tech at RBC and their latest roles on their jobs page. I was thinking, you know, we started together your journey back then in, you know, in the arts and then education, it evolved. And right now you can see really, you know, the impact that your job has on uh, on these young people, on these students. How you feel queer representation evolved through the years? I see much more pronouns being you know, displayed much more gender neutral language that I would not see uh, a few years ago, not not as much, let's say. And also, once again, st still not perfect, but like better awareness around these issues, well, issues, questions, let's say, that's not an issue, <laughs> um, but a better, a better awareness. So, so that's very encouraging. But I think, I think there is still a lot of work to do so that people don't have misconceptions or stereotypes around queer people, good or bad, actually, even kind of positive stereotypes, I think are harmful. So I would like to see a bit more understanding that, you know, we are people like any other people with all our complexity and diversity and you know, even queer, it's just this group is a lot of different people. So, yeah, that's what I would like to see a bit more, but it's really going in the right direction. So for me, I'm, I'm really positive. That's great. What is something that you're doing in your own journey to make sure that these kind of stereotypes, you know, are slowly fading away? I think, first of all, by just being out at work uh, in my life, that's, you know, I, I think I cannot quantify it, but I think it has an impact. The example is the student who reached out to me, so they saw me, you know. Um, and then, for example, there was the Queer Tech Conference a few months ago, and I came back to, to work in, in my team of product managers. I gave them an overview of what was discussed because it's something, because in this group, nobody's openly queer. So I wanted to give them this perspective on things 
to to help them design the experience also and especially as we are designing programs to help people like grads entering the workplace and supporting them in that it's important to understand what are the the specificities of queer people and what are the challenges you know we are facing because once again if you're not living in that reality you you can only imagine what it is but it's not necessarily super accurate Well, wow, what a journey. Uh thank you very much for sharing really all of this. It was it was very very nice. I think the part that I like the most is like to see how your own journey then in the end ended up in, you know, a position that you are right now, you know, as a product manager where you actually have an impact on people's life, you know, as queer people in the job in the job market is really impressive. So thank you very much for sharing all that you do all that you did and um I think That's uh that's it really thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. The QT podcast was developed by a small but dedicated team that runs Queer Tech and all its activities. Production and audio mixing by Daisy. Video editing by Tegan Lance. I'm Marjorie Marchetti, host of the QT podcast. To all the cuties out there, you can visit queertech.org to connect with community, career support, and more. We hope to see you soon. Hi there. I'm Andy, the COO and co-founder of Queertech, and my pronouns are he him. I'm excited to take this opportunity to tell you about Queertech's digital community. The Queer Tech Digital Community is a safe virtual space for 2S LGBTQ+ people who work with or have an interest in technology. In the digital community, members can connect, share experiences, and learn best practices. The community promotes diversity, equity, and inclusion in the tech industry, empowering members to achieve their goals and drive change. Learn more about our services and events at queertech.org.